time you give me an invitation. And appreciate it uh, very, very much. If you would, turn in your Bibles to the 73rd Psalm. Psalm 73. Psalm 73. We're going to be looking at two verses toward the end. If you know any verses from this psalm, it's probably these two. And they are precious and wonderful indeed. The 73rd Psalm and verses 25 and 26. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. The remedy for all troubles, ills, and trials in life is to be found where? In God. Knowing God, J.I. Packer wrote a book that title knowing Christ you've got Mark Jones's book on your table out here I don't know if anybody ever wrote one knowing the Holy Spirit but if not there ought to be one there too because we believe that God is triune God the Father God the Son and God the Holy Spirit and so the remedy for all our life's trials and troubles heartaches pains is to go to God to the Father through the Son by the help of the Holy Spirit. And if we go to God, we are looking away from ourselves and the circumstances that surround us, and we are looking unto Him who is the author and finish of our faith. And there we find great joy and peace and contentment more than we would know in any other way. Psalm 73 is a passage of Scripture that helps us to look to God. Notice the author of the psalm at the very beginning, a psalm of Asaph. Now, I've heard preachers preach sermons before on a psalm of Asaph uh, and say David wrote the psalm throughout the whole psalm. That's, that's not a very good thing to do. Who was Asaph? He was a Levite. He was appointed by David to be one of the chief musicians. So he was a gifted singer and musician, but he was also one of those holy men of old whom the Holy Spirit inspired to write portions of Scripture. There are 12 psalms that are attributed to Asaph, Psalm 50 and then Psalm 73 through 83. Well, clearly when we read this psalm, and I hope you will do this perhaps even later today, you will find he was struggling with a problem. He was looking about and he saw the wicked prospering and the righteous languishing. The ungodly seemed to be the very picture of serenity and good health and happiness, but the godly were having great struggles. And so it is recorded here that he even envied the wicked, the wicked until he realized when he went into the sanctuary of God to find out what their final destiny was. 
So he then began to reflect on the goodness of God to his children, verses 23 to 28, and he envied them no more. And in the midst of that inward struggle, Asaph made this outstanding confession. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart. The ESV has the word may here, but it really is my flesh and my heart fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. When he looked into heaven and when he looked on earth, he realized and was thankful that his greatest desire was for God himself. And there he found true satisfaction and contentment in the Lord. Knowing God through Christ by the aid of the Holy Spirit is better than anything else. Don Newton's hymns were written when he was reflecting on various passages of Scripture. And this is what he wrote when he was contemplating Psalm 73, verse 25. How tedious and tasteless the hours when Jesus no longer I see. Sweet prospects, sweet birds, and sweet flowers have lost all their sweetness with me. The midsummer sun shines but dim. The fields strive in vain to look gay. But when I am happy in him, December is as pleasant as May. John Newton caught the essence, I think, of this scripture. So let's examine these inspired words of ASAP. And may they help us to see that Christ is all that we need. That we need to know God. And there's nothing greater than that. And that we can know the blessed presence and help of the Holy Spirit, the comforter that Jesus promised to send. We began with the question that the psalmist asked, to which he already knew the answer. And the question is, whom have I in heaven but you? What is the answer to that rhetorical question? Whom have I in heaven but you? Well, the answer is no one. Our hope, our refuge, our help, our only hope, only refuge, only help is in Jehovah Jesus. No one else in all of heaven. We have no one to help us, represent us, love us, save us other than the triune God. And we need no one else. We need nothing other than God. There are others in heaven, and yet he says, Whom have I in heaven but you? There are angels there. We know the names of a few of them, Gabriel, Michael. The redeemed of the ages are there. Abraham is there. Mary is there. But they're not there for us. 
They have nothing to render to us. They can't help us. So we don't pray to the angels or saints, do we? We don't cry out to Michael, the archangel, and ask him for assistance. We cry out to God. We don't pray to Mary to find grace and help in our time of need. We pray to God through Jesus Christ, the only intercessor between God and man. So we have none but God in heaven to whom we can turn. There is no other person. There is no other place for us to go. We look to heaven because God is there. And we look to God alone as our refuge and strength. Now you may have family in heaven, and I hope you do. I have family in heaven. My father's there. I preached his funeral in 1979. My mother's there. I preached her funeral in 2013, I think it was. I've got a brother there. I hope you have loved ones and friends there. But my daddy can't help me anymore. My mother can't help me anymore. My brother can't help me anymore. So we don't need to look anywhere else. There's no need to look to anyone else. The Lord God is sufficient. And if God is sufficient, then we should be satisfied in him. But that's the root of many of our problems. We're not satisfied with God. We find too much comfort in other objects, in other things. We find contentment in other places. But often these things can draw us away from the real source of comfort and contentment. Yet nothing can satisfy our thirst save Christ. Nothing can gratify our hunger, our deepest needs than Jesus Christ. And yet we all like substitutes. You know, we live in a world where we have sugar substitutes. We live in a world of virtual reality, replacement theory, video games, smartphones, social network. So we're all prone to find our contentment, what we think is contentment, in things like that. We go to the wrong places. That's true of our world today, isn't it? People are turning ever which way rather than heavenward. Too many people looking in all the wrong places and hoping and trusting in all the wrong people. And when that happens, God doesn't get the glory. He doesn't get the praise He deserves. He becomes a, or, or, or other things become a substitute for Him. But He's the one that's given life to us, and He's given us everything else. And we ought, therefore, to acknowledge Him as God alone, and our only hope, we should find our primary joy and comfort in God. You, your wife, your husband can be a great comfort to you. Perhaps your children, your parents can be a great comfort to you in times that you need. But, but boys and girls, you yourself need to look to God to find help from Him and comfort for an ailing heart. Not just to your mom and dad but to God. 
What are you looking for in heaven? Why do you want to go to heaven? I assume everybody here wants to go to heaven. Have you ever pondered that? Why do you want to go to heaven? Do you want to be in heaven in order to be free from all your burdens? Or because God is there? Do you want to be in heaven in order to experience freedom from all your trials? And you want to see Jesus face to face? Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me save that thou art. Thou my best thought by day or by night, waking or sleeping. Thy presence and light. The consuming desire of the Apostle Paul was to be with Christ. You remember Philippians chapter 1, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Life was to live for Christ and heaven was to be with Christ. He didn't focus on streets of gold. He didn't merely look forward to living in a sinless environment, though, though that's a proper motive heaven for him meant being with Christ and that's what he desired he says in Philippians 1 my desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better now God kept him here for a while longer because he was needed for the saints but he knew it was far better for him to depart and be with Christ I want to be like Paul, don't you? And everything else pales in comparison to Jesus Christ. That is why Colossians 3, we are exhorted to set our affections on Christ who is above and not on things on the earth. Christ is our life. We're dead to sin and our lives are hidden with him. Without Christ... There would be no heaven. One of the great commentators on the book of Psalms, William Plummer, said, All the saints and angels, all the martyrs, prophets, and apostles, though making a goodly company, could not make it heaven. Isaac Watts penned these words when he contemplated Psalm 73, verse 25. Were I in heaven without my God? would be no joy to me and whilst this earth is my abode I long for none but thee the throne of God and the Lamb is in heaven and that's all that matters the redeemed of the Lord will serve and worship him alone so heaven is not in itself a joy. God's presence and fellowship with him is what makes heaven a joy. Do you know the Westminster Shorter Catechism? Maybe the Baptist Catechism, which is built on it. It begins with the question, what is the chief end of man? I've often contemplated what went through the mind of those Puritan pastors 
when they were putting together this catechism. Where do you start? You know, once you get started, you can probably move on, know where you're going, but where do you start? How did they determine what the first question of the catechism would be? Well, whatever their deliberations were, they couldn't have chosen a better one. This is the most basic question that confronts us all. And we need to know the answer to this most important question. What is the chief end of man? And those Puritan divines answered well. They gave an answer fully rooted in biblical thought. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. John Piper really liked that latter part. He built a whole ministry on enjoying God, didn't he? And made excellent uh, uh, points about that. The biblical foundation for that answer chief end of man is to glorify God comes from 1 Corinthians 10 verse 31 whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatever you do do all to the glory of God also Romans eleven thirty six: for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever amen so what's chief end of man to glorify God the second answer they gave, and enjoy him forever, the biblical foundation is in our text right here. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put to an end everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. So yes, we are not only to glorify God, we are to enjoy God. We are to find our comfort, our delight, our pleasure, our hope in God. John Frame says, this is not self-centered pleasure, but God-centered pleasure. We are to enjoy God, to enjoy His power, authority, and presence. He is to be our delight. There is no other one who can fully satisfy. There's no other person, no other object that can meet our deepest needs. And we know down deep in our hearts that's true, don't we? We're convinced in our souls, but do we live by it? So let's consider this question afresh today. Ask it yourself. Whom have I in heaven but you? Is God enough for you? Are you satisfied in him? Well, following the question, whom have I in heaven but you? The psalmist makes a resounding affirmation. And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. 
So it isn't heaven alone that we find solace and comfort in God, but also on earth. So what a grand statement this is for him to make. There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Now he's speaking with a voice of experience. He had looked to others for help. He'd looked to other places. He'd looked for joy in other people. He'd looked for comfort and things, possessions, and he found none. That fully satisfied the longings of the heart. I remember in my youth, there was a rock group that used to sing, I can't get no satisfaction. And they let that note ring out over and over. I can't get no satisfaction because I try and I try and I try and I can't get no satisfaction. That was the Rolling Stones. And I think some of those guys are still alive. And I wonder if any of them ever did get any satisfaction by coming to know God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Maybe the ones that are alive have, or if not, they're still trying and trying to find satisfaction, and they're trying to get it in all the wrong places. Now, it's true the world can supply us with temporary gratification, but it can't give us anything of eternal value and worth. The world will give us sinful pleasure, but that only lasts for a season and cannot give us everlasting joy. Perhaps you've been down that road. Perhaps you're down that road right now trying to find satisfaction in life and nothing has helped you. You've tried everything the world has to offer. Maybe you've experienced with about everything, dabbled in a bit of everything. Has it brought you peace? Has it given you everlasting joy? It hasn't, has it? And it never will. You may have a high doing this thing you love for a while. But then when you're alone and no one's around, you're back to zero. Dear friends, all the glitter and glamour that the world can dazzle you with has no true lasting charms. That's why we sometimes sing, O Christ, in Thee alone my soul has found, and found in Thee alone. The peace and joy I sought so long, the bliss till now unknown. And then it rings out, Now none but Christ can satisfy, none other name for me. There's love and life and lasting joy, Lord Jesus found in thee and we who know him know the truth of that and we want you who are trying to find satisfaction everywhere else to find all of that met in knowing Jesus Christ searching for purpose on earth 
can't be found outside Christ. Go where you will. Do what you will. See what you will. But none of it can give you everlasting joy. That can only be found in Christ. True satisfaction is in God alone. Now let me be quick to add that this satisfaction is found in God himself and not in what God gives we often confuse the two. We are thankful for the blessings God bestows upon us. We realize that God gives us richly all things to enjoy, but our joy is to be first and foremost in God, not in the things He gives to us and not in the things He does for us, but in God alone. Yet sadly, many People enjoy the blessings of God, but they don't enjoy God himself. And the psalmist here states quite clearly that his great desire was for God and that nothing he desired on earth there was more than God. You know, there are Christians that are more interested in the gifts of the Spirit than they are the Spirit, aren't they? There are Christians that are more interested in the joy rather than the Lord who gives the joy. So we must be careful lest we value more highly the things that God gives to us more than God himself. God must be loved for who he is, not as a means to gain things. A.W. Tozer once wrote, Whoever seeks God as a means toward desired ends will not find God. The mighty God, the maker of heaven and earth, will not be one of many treasures, not even the chief of all treasures. He will be all in all or he will be nothing. God will not be used. His mercy and grace are infinite and his patience is understanding and beyond measure. But he will not aid men in their selfish striving after personal gain. He will not help men to attain ends which, when attained, usurp the place he, by every right, should hold in their interest and affection. Tozer's right. Yet I say to you that nothing's more common in the Christian community today than that. Using God's as a means to an end. Using God to get what I want. John Calvin said, How small is the number of those who keep their affections fixed on God alone. Let us enjoy the things that God gives to us. Family, home, work, friends, church, recreation. But let us never put those in the place of God. Let me ask you this. What if everything was taken away from you? I mean everything. You lost your home, you lost your family, you lost your job. Would Christ be adequate for you? 
Would he be enough? Would he be sufficient? Could you say, you remember the song we sing, Christ is all I need. Christ is all I need. All, all I need. Could you say that? John Piper says, God so values our wholehearted faith in future grace that he will graciously take away everything else in the world that we might be tempted to rely on, even life itself. His aim is that we grow deeper and stronger in our confidence that he himself will be all we need. In the end, the psalmist realized that all he really needed was God. And so he says that all he desires is the Lord. Note that word nothing in the text. There is nothing, nothing on earth that I desire besides you. God was the all-consuming desire of his heart. His exclusive aim was to gaze on him, to glory in him, to rejoice in him. Unpromising as our situation might be, he is truly all that we need. I read a an email this morning from a friend, a pastor, whose wife died last week. And my heart was so lifted up in reading his letter. No bitterness, no anger at God because his wife died. All joy that he had her for 54 years. All joy that they had children together. All joy that they loved each other. All joy that their greatest love was for God himself. It was moving to read. Friend, all we need in heaven and on earth is given to us. We are his. He holds us. He guides us. That's verse 23 and verse 24 here. And he receives us, verse 24. So may our joy be in Christ himself. May our delight be in the Lord Jesus Christ and not just in what he gives us or does for us. May our hope be in Jehovah, Jesus alone, in heaven and on earth. Well, we've looked at the question and the affirmation. Next comes a statement, and that's verse 26. My flesh and my heart fail. And I love B-U-T, that preposition sometimes. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. The first part of the verse is a picture of frailty and mortality, which is very real, flesh and heart failing signifying weakness and feebleness. And the psalmist had certainly experienced that throughout his life, and he would do so the rest of his life while he was on earth. Literally, the verb is, my flesh and my heart fail. Job had it right when he said, man who is born of woman is 
few of days and full of trouble. But what does a person do when weak and fragile in heart and body do? Well, those who know the Lord lean on him. And there they find strength for the journey. There they find the grace and help that they need. There they find everything. In the crises of failing mortal body and downcast heart, turn to the Lord. That's what the psalmist is saying. Despondency and discouragement flee when we go to the Lord. And what is the Lord to them? He is their strength and their portion. Strength and portion. He's the strength of my heart. This word translated strength here is often translated rock. Psalm 18:31 For who is the who is God but the Lord and who is a rock? Except our God. Psalm 19 verse 14. You, you know the conclusion of that psalm. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and redeemer. It's rock. My rock and redeemer. Psalm 73 or 78 verse 35. They remember that God was their rock. The most high God and their redeemer. Martin Lloyd-Jones, I'm assuming most of you know that name. He pastored in London, Westminster Chapel for many years. Probably the greatest preacher of the 20th century. There are others who might rival that. but He preached 11 sermons from Psalm 73. That was the year 1965. His sermon on this passage of Scripture that we're studying today was entitled Rock of Ages. And rightly so, because God's our rock. And Martin Lloyd-Jones said that when the psalmist declared that God was a rock, the rock of his heart, he was saying something like this. I know that I am in such a position that I can rest quietly and confidently in Him. I know that I can say that even though a day may come when I shall feel the foundations of life shaking beneath me, God will be a rock that will hold me. He cannot be moved. He cannot be shaken. He is the rock of ages. And wherever I am and whatever may be happening, however my physical frame is behaving, and even when things of earth are passing away, God the rock will sustain me and I shall never be moved. We can say with him, can't we? God is the rock of my heart. Say with the psalmist. And not only that, but the psalmist also says, and God is my portion forever. Now remember, the man who's writing this, Asaph, was a Levite, which is part of the priestly tribe. And he's using priestly language when he speaks of God as his portion for 
ever. You know that when the tribes of Israel came into the promised land, the book of Joshua, that the land was portioned out and each tribe received a portion of land except one tribe. And that was the tribe of Levite, of Levi. They didn't receive a piece of property in the promised land. Why? Deuteronomy 10, verse 9, Joshua 18, verse 7. Their inheritance was the Lord himself. And dear friend, that's true of us. God is our portion. He's our treasure. And there is no better portion than that. Nothing can rob us of God. Not even failing flesh and heart. Death can't rob us of God, who is our portion forever. Man can't take away our portion. So what do we desire more than this? What is better than this? God, Christ, the Holy Spirit. In fact, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. When ill health comes, we can say, it's okay. When old age comes, we can say, it's all right. When death comes, we can say as we sung today, it is well with my soul. When our earthly life slips away and we are but transferred to the glory land beyond. And I say hallelujah, we are safe in Christ. He's our rock and our shield. He is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. What else do I need? On his deathbed, Charles Wesley composed a hymn based on Psalm 73, verse 26. He dictated these words to his wife. In age and feebleness extreme, what shall a sinful word rede worm redeem? Jesus, my only hope, Thou art strength of my failing flesh and heart. Oh, could I catch a smile from thee and drop into eternity. Does that ring true to your heart? Is Christ enough for you? Someone said, you don't realize that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. And sometimes God brings us to a low place so we will know that he is all we need. But let's not wait till our deathbed before we find that out. On a day when many deserted Jesus because of some hard things he taught, John chapter 6, Jesus asked his disciples this question. Do you want to go away as well? And the impulsive disciple 
Simon Peter, who often said the wrong thing, echoed rightly and profoundly with a question of his own. Lord, to whom shall we go? Peter was in complete agreement with Asaph. There is no other one to whom we can go. We have no one in heaven or on earth to whom we may go. Jesus has the words of eternal life and none else. Simon Peter later said, There is salvation in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There's none beside Jesus to whom we can go. Jesus once asked a group of people, what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world, lose his own soul? And that's something we all need to consider here today. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world, gets everything he wants, but loses his own soul? Let me ask you, would you rather be rich in the world and not know Christ, or would you rather be poor and have Christ? best to know Christ and in him we find all our longings met Father we thank you for these verses of scripture and we pray they will echo the very sentiments of our hearts whom have I in heaven but you there's nothing on earth that I desire beside you my flesh and my heart fail But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. May that be true of all of us here today. You sent your son in order to save us from our sins. We couldn't save ourselves. He's all we need in salvation. You sent the Holy Spirit to be with us. And what do we need more than him? Yes, we find great joy in our families and things we get to do, recreations and and things, but Lord, may these things never be a substitute for knowing you. And we thank you for the gifts that you give us, the things you give us, the provisions you give us, but may none of these things be a substitute for you. So I pray that we will know you in your grace, know Christ your Son who came to save us, and experience the filling of the Holy Spirit that we might walk in this world filled with the joy of the Lord, glorifying Him in all we say and do and finding all our joy in Him who loved us and gave Himself for us. And we pray this in the precious name of Jesus our Lord. Amen.